Welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I'm your host, John Edwards, and I'm excited to be here with you today. It's a very monumental day for our ministry. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast or watch some of the videos, you know that we've been dreaming about a studio and building something where we could really enhance our work and uh, grow our YouTube channel and all of that, and that day is here. Um, it's monumental for that reason, but also my very good friend, Matt Fratt, as you can see, is here with me uh, today. Matt, you're in town to speak at uh, my parish uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's Saturday. You give three talks. And I'm so excited for you to be here, man. And, and to, for this studio to be done like the day before you got here with help from your friend, Neil, uh, that works with you is, is just a, been a pleasure and excited to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it looks really beautiful. You and Neil did a great job. And this table's fantastic. Where did you get this Thank table? Thank you. Uh, Overstock.com. Okay. Overstock.com. <laughs> yeah, Overstock.com. Apparently they had plenty of them. That's why I was overstocked, it looks, I guess. It looks, <laughs> it looks great. But no, I appreciate it. So yeah, you know, for a long time, Matt, you know, I've watched what you do and admired it as so many people do. Uh, with what you've done with your YouTube channel. And as you and I have talked on your show before, you know, that's where we got to be friends. You invited me there. And after a retreat, we were on together and really just was looking for ways to kind of grow how we can get out there for the purpose of going and starting men's groups. You know, I've talked to you about that. That's my passion. And so the hope is with this studio that we can have a lot of great interviews that help people, but also uh, get out to parishes more and, and to really do what we think the Lord's calling us to. So, nice. Um, but, you know, one of the things we do with Pew Ministries is bring in speakers to, to sort of bless our diocese here in Memphis with the, you know, the relationships I've been able to build with people like you and kind of give back. So excited to hear what you're going to talk about tomorrow and just really excited to be in here talking about whatever we're going to talk about. You and I were outside having a cigar and just <laughs> saying, let's not even plan. Let's just, you know, let's just get in here and talk. So yeah. um, I know one of the things we mentioned was just doing stuff for young guys, you know, that have possibly maybe in the first part of their marriage. Uh, and how you and I were kind of reminiscing and looking outside about what would we do differently, <laughs> like looking back at, at where, we, where we are in marriage. Last night we figured out that we're both um, have been married about the same time, 15, 16 years. So I guess we can start there and just jump into it. Well, so. first of all, when did you realize you weren't a young guy? Oh, man. did that Has that occurred to you? Yeah. <laughs> when was that, and what was that like? Man, probably two or three years ago um, <clears throat> when I started dressing the same as I did when I was 20, and people were like, you need to be different. You're older now. Like, Who said that? Uh, just a friend of mine was like, man, you need to really quit the baggy cargo shorts. And all that <laughs> stuff. You're kind of like that dad that's still Put trying to hold on. Put the skateboard away. <laughs> right. As, I don't know what the camera can see, but I have baggy cargo shorts on now, so apparently I didn't listen to that advice. Mm -hmm. So. But no, I just, one day I started talking to people that were younger than me about things that they didn't know what they were, you yeah. know, like TV shows. And Neil, for instance, when he was here, I was like, man, do you remember seeing this? He's like, no, I really don't. You didn't watch the Golden Girls? Did yeah, you? that's right. I was like, you don't know what Transformers are? Where have you been? <laughs> you know, or G.I. Joe or He-Man, I think is what we we're talking about. But uh, yeah, that's probably when it happened a couple of years ago. I just start talking about things and people just look at you like, I have no idea what you're talking about and start to feel a bit old then. Um, and then your body, right? You start to, you, you're trying to do the things you once did and you're, uh, crazy tired of doing the same things you once did. So that's what really I, hit me. I was at CrossFit. I don't do that yeah. much. I don't do it anymore. I do other things, but yeah, somebody said to me, how old are you? And I said, 37. And they said, 57. <laughs> I said, no, 37. Yeah. And they said, I was going to say, you look great for 57. Yeah. You look younger for really. Your... <laughs> that's it. That's that's it. Yeah, that. And then I was, uh, you know, working at working in Steubenville and encountering a lot of 
young adults there and university students, you just start to realize, wow, they're young. Yeah. Which means I'm old, which yeah. I'm glad about. I'm glad. <laughs> Did you? Ever We're like... way cooler than younger people. We've yeah. been here way longer than them. Yeah. But I, I, I was saying goodbye to a couple of these female students at the coffee shop recently. And I said, all right, bye, girls. And I went, why? Well, I just call them girls. And I meant it. And they're like 22, you know? Yeah. I remember too, like when I was a kid in middle school, it seemed like all the older kids looked like adults to me. Like there were kids in ninth grade that had full-fledged beards, <laughs> you know? And now I look at, you know, my son's in sixth I grade. Know. And I go, look, and they look so young. But these yeah. guys, when I, was, when I was that age, these guys had muscles, they had huge beards. And I don't know if like the food has something to do with that now or what. Or do you think you were just sort of, maybe they didn't look like that, but to you they did. Yeah, that's probably what it is looking back now. But I just... <laughs> Like I would hate to be someone single that's trying to date anyone in the age of like 18 to 30 because you really don't know how old anybody is now mm. by just looking at them, right? So you may see a young lady you're talking to and it turns out she's like 15. You know, mm. you think she's 20 or 22. So it's it's a weird thing for sure. I mean, I don't uh, – age is, is – I try not to think about it that much. I'm just like I'm here day to day and make the best of what I have and – be grateful for what I have, you know, and, and the health I have and things like that instead of trying to get too caught up in it, you know, because it's, it's very easy to do. You can start lamenting about, you know, getting closer to death and all of those things like that. But I try to think about it. I, I try to be young at heart. Mm. Yeah. But no, to your point about the, you know, we were talking about young people outside and just marriage. And, you know, obviously, you know, we were talking about maybe giving advice a little bit to people from things we've learned. And, I would start off by saying, like, you know, I really wish I hadn't done coke behind my wife's back. That was probably one I should start with, you know. Um, you know, guys out there, if that's something that uh, you're even <laughs> contemplating, I would just, you know, step number one, avoid that. <laughs> you have an easier road in your marriage. Uh, well, I suppose there's like two different things we could talk about. Like, what yeah. advice would you give to yourself regarding marriage? You know, yeah. if you could go back sit down it'd be an interesting conversation you'd be chatting with like a slightly fatter version of myself not you i mean me just a slightly older receding hairline like who are you why do you look kind of like me but more tired (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah what advice would you give yourself on your marriage day yeah i think the first thing i would say is realize how selfish you are you know i mean that's whenever i give a marriage talk or somebody's asking about that They'll say, well, or, or they'll come up and say, you know, I'm, I'm fixing to get married, you know, and is there anything I should know? And the first thing I think is like, yes, there's a lot you should know. But the first thing I would say is just start to understand before you even take your vows how selfish you are. Because I, I remember when Angela and I got married, of course, I was in the middle of all, you know, doing drugs and all that stuff on her back. But um, even with that, take that away, I was just very innately selfish, you know. I got married and I thought I'm still going to be able every Tuesday night to go meet my buddies at the bar and do what I want when I want. And I remember I was doing that for a while, maybe a couple months after we got married. And eventually, you know, I was leaving one night. She's like, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going up to, you know, Doc Watson's or whatever the place was called. And uh, I'm going to meet the guys and play some shuffleboard, have some beers, throw some darts. And she's like, yeah, when are you going to quit doing that? Like, right, we're married now and I want to spend time with you. And I was like, well, why? Like, you're going to make me stop doing things I want to do, right? Like, I mean, I've enjoyed this, and this is my time. And How old were you when you got married? Man, I was, uh, when I was, got married, I was 26, mm. you know, so. Um, but my life had always been about me, you know. We've talked about that on your show, and, and you know, it was my money and my stuff and my job, and I was just kind of infatuated with what I wanted when I wanted, you know, sort of like an addict does. But I think that there's an innate selfishness in us all, and you realize it pretty quickly after you get married when, 
there's like another person here that I really need to be con more concerned with than myself. And so if you're not prepared for that, it can cause a lot of problems early on in your marriage when you're just constantly still kind of self-seeking instead of wishing to be a gift for the other. I think for me, the first thing that came to mind is you can only hear what you can hear, you know? Yeah. It's like there's a there's a part on your back that you'll never see because of your current vantage point. And sure. there's a part of our personalities that we seem oblivious to. Yeah. And we need to be open to the advice of other people who see what we don't see. And that's a difficult thing to do, you know? So I think even if I went back and gave myself the best possible advice, at the end of the day, I still have to experience what I was going to experience and learn through experience, you know? Yeah. I suppose maybe one thing I would ask younger Matt Fry, I married when I was 22, I think I would have said, are there any men that you respect mm. um, whose advice you would listen to even if it contradicted your own intuitions about things? Who are those people? And are they, are they people that you could contact now and ask them, could I call you from time to time and run yeah. things by you? Because yeah. I've got men in my life now who I would call and I'll, I'll run things by and you know they'll say things like, yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of being selfish or they'll say some variation sure. of that. And, and I can listen to them because I know they love me and yeah. they have my, my you know, uh, best in mind. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, that's a really good point because I have people in my life now too that will call me out about things. And I, I think another thing I would say yeah. to myself is uh, you don't understand how deeply those lies of pornography have seeped into your heart and brain. Mm. You think you do, but you don't. Yeah. So you're going to need, you're really going to need some help with that. It's not enough to just not look at it or to have stretches of time that are significant that you don't look at it. It's, you know, and so I, I think I would have got some help with that mm -hmm. because I think that most men don't realize that pornography is a deep lie that has kind of really gotten in and messed with us in ways we don't understand. I think a lot of Catholic men intellectually assent to the fact that okay pornography is a lie that's not real that's objectively sinful it's it's a it's a it you know it, it objectifies women yada yada but just acknowledging that that's like the beginning of the beginning of the beginning yeah and i think a lot of men kind of acknowledge the objective sinfulness of pornography and hope that that recognition will get them through but i was thinking the other day and i'm trying to trying to formulate this more you know like if you um I don't know, like, I've heard someone say pornography is the greatest teacher. The only mm. problem is everything it says is a lie. Wow. You know, like, you think about the fact that you're, uh, you're climaxing to a lie and yeah. how deeply that therefore embeds the lie, you know? I was trying to think, like, if I thought, I'm just picking a random object, if I thought this cup was supposed to do something other than it did, like, if I, if I could somehow be convinced that this cup is... I don't know, like a, a knife. Yeah. And it's meant to cut things. And that's what I've been taught my entire life. And I'd come to hold that belief. I, if I was trying to use this to cut things, I'd get really frustrated with it yeah. and with myself. And I think pornography lies to us men about what women are. Yeah. And, um, and then we kind of go into marriage thinking that women should do that thing. And then we get really frustrated. Yeah but they aren't that thing. You've actually been lied to and you've, you've believed that lie to such a degree that, that it's difficult to untangle. 
Yeah. You know, because in a way, this could probably cut something, I guess, if it was soft enough and if I pressed it the right way, it would, it. you know, yeah, it might break exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and similarly, you know, women are sexual beings with sexual desires. And so there's a sense in which the, there's true, but it takes that like one aspect of a woman and, and magnifies it to be 100%. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, like if you had, is it okay that I speak this openly about oh, sex yeah. on your no, show? Please, yeah. Man. You know, if you had a nobody s- listens, it's okay. <laughs> if you if if you got married and then had sex, let's say for two hours every single day, mm-hmm. which is nobody does that. Yeah, um, that would still be an infinitesimal test. I can't pronounce that word. Uh, amount of time in regards to the rest of the day. Sure. And no one's having sex that much. So like, so it's like sex is very important, but it's this like really small part of your marriage actually. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's you've been lied to about. So I guess I would go to myself and say, like, you need therapy. Yeah, yeah. You need to. You need to really. No. You need to deal with these things. You know, and your and the and the way that you kind of get angry about things. You know, no need to be embarrassed about that. But this, you're going to need some help here. And the sooner you get on that, the better. I think sure. I would have said. I think it's a great point. I mean, that's something I would go back and say to myself too. Is you know, you need greater introspection. You know, there's such a proclivity in all of us to to blame other things and you know our surroundings and other people for our issues you know and I'm just now coming to that point in my life you know we're talking last night and I was sharing with you about some help Dr. Bob Schutz has given me about father wounds I had and you know I look back after that session with him and I look at how many relationships that I might have trashed or hurt because um, you know I never was enough for my father in my eyes you know no matter what I did I was sharing with Neil when he was here you know, there was a basketball game I had um, one time. My father was a really good basketball player, could have played in the NBA, but he got drafted in the Army. And, you know, he always pushed me. He taught me how to play, but he never played with me, right? He showed me the fundamentals, and I always desired, like, come out here and, you know, you're very critical, show me how to be better. But he was sort of like, no, put your head down, figure it out, do it, and all those things. And uh, there was this one night where I had a game where I scored, like, 30-something points. It was the best game I ever had, you know, rebounded – the ball well, did everything well. And he would come to my games, you know, he'd leave work, come to the games. And even though my mother was there, he would make me ride home with him. And that was generally, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And then he would go back to work. <laughs> mm. And I remember this one night, I had this great game. And I was like, have you ever seen the cover of the 40-year-old virgin with Steve Carell? Where he's uh, like, I know of it. But, like that on the okay. cover. That's how I was when I got in the car. I was like, here's the night. I'm just smiling, waiting to receive this. Like, I'm going to hear what he, I've always wanted to hear. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I remember getting in the truck, and um, and I was he had a bench seat in his truck, his old truck, and I looked over, and he was kind of putting a hat on. He's like, you know, if you cut your hair like I told you to earlier in the week and you weren't messing with it before that free throw, you wouldn't have missed it. Mm. I was crushed, mm. right? Like, I was crushed. I was like, I'll never – that's the best I had. I'll never be enough. And so I didn't realize, like, several things like that happened in my life. And until recently, I had an incident with him and, and my sister, actually, and I took out my anger at my father on my sister. Mm. And my sister's a psychologist. So she basically called me out immediately. And she's like, you have dad issues and you need to deal with them. Mm. And, of course, I was angry at her for saying that. But I, I, I took her advice. I sat down. I prayed about it. I thought about it. Called Dr. Bob. And we talked through some things. And I say all of that to get to the point of a lot of times in my life, I blamed other people for yeah. things that were wrong with me yeah. that that I just didn't deal with. And so... I think I would tell myself, like, you need greater introspection. Like, it's not everybody else's fault all the time that you're unhappy or that you don't have this. And 
and you know to really try to mature in what's that tough way. though is younger you would have went absolutely yeah that makes sense yeah and so you'd I, know it without knowing it yeah so how can you teach what you can't hear you know yeah that's that's the truth i mean i i guess i would have spent more times poking and prodding places that hurt that i didn't want to poke mm, that's and pride. what's that's what's real tough yeah 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 another thing for me is like my mum and dad kept a really tidy home mm-hmm. you know and we were constantly being barked at about touching the curtains and sure. touching the walls and clean up after yourself and there's a sense in which that's valuable sure. you know you want to clean up after yourself and take care of your things but it just it just felt i now know that it was it was to the detriment really of, of yeah. our home life and um i think when we got married realizing that my my wife's not like that i'm actually really glad she's not like sure. that but at the time i found it really frustrating like the house is a mess you know because my wife and i we, we did the uh strength finders yeah and the 35th strength of mine is like discipline and her 34th <laughs> is discipline like we're just not disciplined yeah. people we got lots of great things about us but like those aren't, yeah. aren't them and so just yeah just i don't know you kind of i think go into marriage you both have expectations of how things are going to look yeah. you know what i mean like oh, yeah. in small things like who's how the kitchen's going to look who's do we make the bed every day you know, all these sorts of things and sure. i and I, I just found myself frustrated um and i don't know if i knew how to communicate that frustration well yeah did you ever experience that your wife seems like a very tidy person she is she is we're both sort of like that and and i can be like you're talking about with my kids sometimes is like there's fingerprints on the wall and stop touching the wall when you come down the stairs yeah and then i'm like you haven't even said hello to them you just started like talking about fingerprints it's it's so true like you stress out about these things you think you know like that could be fixed at any point with 300 dollars worth of paint or whatever less it really gets down to what if somebody comes over here and they think we have a bad house because there's fingerprints on the wall who cares right this is where i live like it's it's kind of irrational yeah like and And that's why i think therapy helps because like what you're angry about isn't what you're angry about sure kind of like what you were saying yeah well that's i mean you know that well you've been talking about porn for years and you know, that's what guys will talk about that in our men's group, for instance, and say, well, I'm embarrassed and tired of going to confession and saying the same thing and I'm not getting over it. And I think that's one thing we don't realize is like it, you're, it's not a magic button where you go in there. It's not a car wash where you just get clean all of a sudden and yeah. you're perfect. It's it's really if you have a good confessor and, and you're working. Like People say priests don't remember confessions. I kind of hope mine does. Mm. So that the next time I come in there, he's like, I know what he's struggling with. I know where we were last time. And let's, you know, let's talk through it again where he is now to the point of, you know, things like in Dr. Bob's book is getting to the root of that. Like, cause we're, yeah. we're, we're confessing the symptom, not the real pain. And I think that's where a lot of people miss on confession. And I did for a very long time is I'm going in here trying to get this off my chest instead of trying to dive into what's really causing this. I think we make a, a, a leap in our spiritual life when we start to get there and say, you know what, the Lord's bringing me through this to to get to the root of this so we can root it out and be rid of this in our life. Cause you know, like I was talking about with my dad, I mean, it affected everything. My brother-in-law, you know, he very successful worked in the same place. My father and I did before I did this. And, and I could hear my father lauding over him all the time and, I, and it would make me angry. I'm like, he's never tells me he's proud of anything. Now my father's the type that he talks to me about my sister. He talks to my sister about me. So you never hear it from him. But I desired that so much in my life. And when I heard him lifting up another man, I was just like, well, I'm sure he loves him better than me. And he'd probably rather have him as a son. And all these lies that the devil kind of throws in there from those wounded places. Mm. And so, I, yeah, I, I would I would tell myself, you know, the, the way you're talking about too, just to to be a little bit easier on myself, to be gentler and kinder to myself. And, and really not, we have a tendency to just beat the heck out of ourselves when we make mistakes. And 
Which it, doesn't make us patient with no. others. It just makes us more aggravated yeah. and tense, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, been Angela's head off. And, you know, you would think, gosh, after all she's done for me in my life and been with me, that, like, I would do everything in my power not to do that. We're human at the end of the day, but but you're so right. Like, our own things that we're not willing to deal with, they, they're going to come out one way or another, and usually it's hurting other people. So, you know, that's – I think we've got a shared point there. The other, um, the other thing I would say, too, is – is I would spend a lot of time probably telling myself to really think about what's important to the other person. Because when you get married, like let's say you dated for two years. Yeah, you know each other well. You know you know the, your wife enough or your future wife to know, like, I love this woman differently than any other woman I might have been with dating or whatever, and there's something different, and I want this for the rest of my life. But you don't really get to know each other's, like, mannerisms and dirty, dark secrets until you're married and you're living with somebody, right? Because as we know, as the church teaches, we're not really supposed to be cohabitating before marriage. So if you're doing that in the lens of the church and the way that, you know, God calls us to be separate until we're married, you kind of come in and all of a sudden it's very quickly you start to notice things that might be different than you. You know, like maybe you are the clean freak and they're not. And how do you deal with that in ways that aren't choking each other out <laughs> every morning and when you wake up about things? So I would go back and say, look, like everybody is not you and people are different and you need to be tolerant of that instead of this is my way or the highway. Because I think Angela, if she was in here now, would tell you in the very beginning of our marriage, because I was selfish, everything had to be my way. You know, we went to eat where I wanted to go eat. We, I always drove the car, things like that. And so I would say, like, to be more open to the needs and not only the needs, but that people are different and they have different things and that's okay, mm. you know. Yeah, I've been thinking a bit lately about how if we're not communicating, well, when we tell truths to each mm -hmm. other, we're communicating. Uh, German philosopher Joseph Pieper says when we lie to each other that this isn't an instance of communication mm -hmm. because rather than sharing reality with you, I'm withholding the reality that is your share. Yeah. And so he contrasts communication with manipulation. And so like sophistry uh, or, or flattery, this is an instance of manipulation. Like mm. I'm telling you something in order to make you do something. Yeah, yeah. And it's once you start to realize that it's it's shocking how often we do that with each other. Um, we, we may not even be aware that I'm saying something to make you do something. And um, one thing that my wife and I are dealing with right now is, uh, you know, I, I hate it when she picks up her phone while we're talking. I don't oh, like yeah. it when I'm around her and she texts or she reads a text message or anything like this. So I could, I can go about this in one of two ways. I think one way I've gone about it is like, could you could you just put your phone down? Like, could we, could we be together? You know, mm -hmm. I say these things, you know, that are kind of shaming. And even if I have a point, it's sort of like a little jarring, you know, like, sure. could we, could we, and I'll even like physically turn her phone over. Because yeah. I, I just, um, but like that, even though there's truth in what I'm saying, it's manipulative because I'm telling her something to do something, you know. Right. But uh, I think what I should do and uh, what I think we need to do, maybe we have to have a date night when I get home, <laughs> is say like, hey, I want to share with you like how that how that makes me feel, sure. and I'm not going to do that to make you change how you know you don't have to change anything and really mean that like what's the yeah. intention of my heart here because maybe I am saying I feel this way in order to make her do something but rather to be like I don't know where this comes from like this is this is also something in me you know like maybe I get frustrated because I feel like I'm not being seen or heard or loved by you and so I need to look at that I need to bring that to prayer and. But um, I just want you to know that this is how I how I feel, and what do you think about that? Yeah. You know, like 
You this know, is, it's hard for guys to do that, right? Mm. It's hard to share your feelings. Especially when it seems to you that what the other person's doing is an objective fault that yeah. needs to be changed. And mm. you don't even look at yourself to say, why does that bother me so much? Yeah. Because that's it's a lot it's a lot easier to blame somebody than it is to say, what's going on within me that needs to change? You know, that's yeah. another thing I'd like to talk about is is parenting. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to share with you something that I'm learning right now. Sure. I mean, it's been 15 years or 14 years since our yeah. first kid was born. And how many kids do you have? Four kids. Eight. Eldest is 14 down to seven. Okay. I think when I first got married, you know, you sort of have an idea of what a Catholic family ought to look like. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and I think we all maybe, I, I'll speak for myself, struggle with perfectionism. Yeah. You know, that family prayer ought to look this way. And if it's not looking this way, then it means I'm failing. And failing makes me feel bad. And when I feel bad, I'm not in a position to love and to receive and to give of my life and strength, you know. So I think I, in the beginning, found it really frustrating when our family couldn't sit down and pray the rosary in what I believed was an appropriate way. Mm. I had this view in my head of what Dr. Hahn's family, how they would pray the sure. rosary. They're probably kneeling before us. No, no, no. I'm sure this isn't the case, <laughs> yeah. but that's the point. Kneeling, b- singing somewhere. And someone's <laughs> levitating again, and one of them's broke, breaking up glass to kneel that's on. Right. And His children are writing their own books. You know, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm like, hail, shh, shh. Would you please say the prayer with me? Okay? Would it kill you? Make the sign of the cross. <laughs> and I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's something noble about wanting your children to pray in a way that's appropriate to prayer. But there's also something to be said about how do I pray with my family in a way that they actually would like to do enjoy they this? Do it? Yeah. Somebody pointed out to me recently that Jose Maria Escriva said, like, let your family rosary be more like, uh, an inviting fireplace where the children want to gather. Mm. All right. So here's something that's changed in my family, I'd say, over the last couple of years that's really blessed us. And if I could go back, I'd just say, like, just you need to relax here. Mm-hmm. So one thing we'll do is at the end of the night when we pray the rosary, I mean, if you came in, people people might think, like, Matt's really not trying that hard because I let the kids kind of do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'll say, we're going to pray the rosary and hey, I'd love you to stick around for a decade. And if you want to go to bed after that, you're welcome to go to bed. Sure. And I got one kid pulling out a piece of paper, his coloring while we're praying. Another kid's getting up for his fourth glass of water. And <laughs> I think in the beginning, I would have been like, you sit down, like take this seriously. We're praying to the blessed mother. And fair enough, you know, there's something to be said about that. But I also don't know why anybody would want to sit around and pray with dad when he's just angry. Yeah. So this has really kind of blessed our family because what actually happens is after the first decade, no one's going anywhere because they don't want to go to bed. They kind of want to sit up and hang out. Mm-hmm. And if they're not praying the prayers, like I don't, I don't harp on them about it. Um, and this, this does two things. It makes them want to be there. Mm-hmm. And it makes the day, and maybe you'd have a different prayer, but it makes the nightly rosary sustainable. Yeah. If every night I pray the rosary, I'm angry at my kids. Why would I want to continue to do this? Sure. I'll just pray it during the day and we'll just say a quick Hail Mary before bed. But if I'm just a lot calmer about it and offer those things up myself. So if my kid gets up for the fourth time or he's blowing his nose or he's whatever. No, this is something I can offer up, you know, and, and, I, and, and this has just really changed my prayer life. So that's something I would, I would. Now, look, families have different temperaments as well. Mm-hmm. So my, my wife and I are pretty intense people. 
so we're pretty intense kids <laughs> and that's okay uh you know you might have more of a phlegmatic temperament and your kids might be a lot more docile than my kids are and hey good for you um so to take your family's temperament into account and just just sort of don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you know yeah, like it, it, and also don't have zero sum thinking is that the phrase zero yeah. sum where you think well if we're not praying the rosary every night we may as well never pray it at all yeah. it's like well no like maybe you got a rosary in once a week or maybe you did it once a month and that's not nothing yeah and so that's okay you know yeah. and I'll just close on this line from Jordan Peterson. I always mention this because I, f- I found it really helpful. He says, what's something you can do that you would do that would make your life better? Right? Notice he didn't say what's something you can do that could make your life better because there's all sorts of bloody things you could do. But look mm-hmm. at you. You're lazy. You know, you're, you know, you're irritable. You're, you, you don't follow through on things. So take you and your weakness into account and now ask yourself, well, what's something I could do that I actually would do that would make things better and maybe all you could do that you would do is pray a hail mary with your children every night and that's some that's something that's mm-hmm. not nothing no that's awesome i mean that's great advice and i i think we all kind of fall prey to that where you're comparing yourselves with our parents and styles and things and and you know i've always kind of looked at it like when we were younger my parents were like you're going to church and you're gonna sit here and you're gonna be quiet and you're gonna have your tie on straight because mm-hmm. we were baptist and everybody dressed up and to the t's every weekend and and I just remember sometimes thinking like, man, I, I know we're here to worship God, but it seems like we're here to be on display, you know? And and so we, I, I felt sometimes just a resentment to having to go because of that, right? Like I'm I'm being modeled here instead of like being able to go and just enjoy this is, and not worry about what other people are thinking, you know? And you see that in, in Catholic churches a lot. That's why I love families that have like six kids and they're crawling all over the pews and they... I'm sure they're embarrassed and, you know, but they stay there and they're stalwart and they're like, these are just my kids because the same family. And and he probably knows who I'm talking about has a kid that's probably not even three. And while he's climbing the pew or whatever, he's sitting there with a rosary doing this, like the incense. Right. And, and so he's picking up on the things that are going on. And I think too often we can, to your point, we're so worried about like how we think something should be and, and like God sitting there with some pad up there going, Nope, they didn't say the rosary right. And they missed this prayer and he didn't have it in the left hand. It's supposed to be in the left hand or whatever. Mm. And it's not like that. And so I share with men a lot too, that say like, I'm not joyful. I'm trying to serve the Lord and I don't find joy in it. It's sort of the same point. Like, well, what are your gifts and what do you enjoy doing? Because if you're just going to the soup kitchen because somebody said it's Catholic and go serve that way, but that's not really what you're into doing then you're never going to be happy and find joy in it, right? Like, what are you good at? What are your gifts? So you can understand those. And then maybe the Lord wants you to serve in another way. I remember when I first became really Catholic. I mean, I'd been Catholic for 11 years, but I started actually living my faith. And there was a lady at a church one day, and and she just asked me, she said, I don't see you have a rosary. I was sitting in the church praying. And I said, no, I don't have one with me. And she said, well, if you're not Catholic, if you don't pray pray the rosary every day. And I was like, man, I guess I'm not Catholic. So I decided like every night before I go to bed, I'm going to pray the rosary. Well, you know, it was 10 o'clock and it was 9.55. I wanted to go to bed at 10. I'm like, I guess that rosary, I'm not Catholic. Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. And one night I just felt like I heard, you know, God out of my soul just say, put it down. Right? If that's what this is, if you're just checking mm-hmm. a box and then, then you know, put it down. You're just, you're disrespecting my mother, basically, <laughs> is what I kind of heard from Jesus and, 
And so I thought, you know, maybe this isn't. I know we're supposed to pray the rosary every day. No, maybe. And, and I'm not, we're not. We're actually we're not supposed to. Well, That's, what Mary yeah. said to Fatima. Well, guess, if, yeah, but see, this is this is a big beef of mine, and I know it upsets people. But sure. as Catholics, we should should submit to what the church teaches authoritatively. Mm-hmm. We should also not demand uniformity where the church allows diversity of opinion or custom, right? So sure. so that's 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 the thing that this woman got wrong. Yes, the church encourages the rosary, um, fair enough, and it's a virtuous thing to pray it. But the church actually hasn't said, if you don't pray the rosary every day, you're doing something wrong. And I want to be obedient to the church. Sure. And we, 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 we lay up these burdens upon people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we find a devotion that means a lot to us. And then we demand that people. everybody else do it. Yeah. And um, Alfonso Stelagori in his uh, Uniformity of God's Will, I think he begins by pointing this out. Uh, and we just got to stop doing that to people because... I don't want to demand something of others that the church hasn't demanded. I want to be faithful to the church, you know. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and and it's just like with, with with the way we try to parent our kids is, you know, we invite them into prayer every morning on the way to school. I'll just we hop in the truck and and I'll just say, hey, you know, uh, what are you thankful for? And then they'll start, you know, I'm thankful that you know I got to meet Mr. Matt Fried this week, or I'm thankful that you know I have clothes, or that God woke me up today. And then we'll finish with, okay, what, what do you want to pray for? And then it's just simply five minutes on the way to school, and they're like, well, I want to pray for you know, people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Or I want to pray that our priests are taken care of. Or I want to pray for my friend that was made fun of yesterday. And, and it's just like, okay, they're getting it. And I'm not, it's not forcing it. It's no, sort of like they're osmosis. fighting over who wants to pray, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think so many times we're so concerned about like how we look or how we feel and it's so connected to like, I feel like I'm a failing parent if my kids aren't praying on their own or initiating prayer and all these mm. things. And it's, I've just always had the experience, I don't want to do things that people are making me do. And our kids don't either, right? Mm-hmm. They, if they don't see pleasure in it, if they don't love to do it, if they don't enjoy it, then they're not going to do it. And this parent mindset of I'm just going to browbeat them into like this routine they may go through it, but they may hate you and it all the way through it because yeah, of Yeah, this is interesting. I'm uh, I, I have been reading, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound pretentious, but I'm not sure. sure if I can. I'm reading Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And one thing he says there is, if you do the right thing, but don't take pleasure in it, you're not a virtuous person. Oh, wow. How terrifying yeah. is that? Yeah. Uh, right? He says you're a continent person. So he's, you got like virtuous, you do the right thing and you take pleasure in it. Continent, you do the right thing, but it's a burden. Incontinent, you do the wrong thing and it's a burden. Vicious, you do the wrong thing and you take pleasure in it, right? Yeah. And um, what's difficult for us is that you, you, just exactly what you're saying, you can make someone do the right things, but if, if they're not disposed to it, if they don't take delight in it, that's not a virtuous action. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't force children to do things. We force them to go to school or we force them to take their lessons. Clean their room. We yeah. force them to clean their room. Um, and we try to explain why it's important, but we also take their weakness and their age into account. So, you know, if I think that, you know, a whole rosary is just way too much for my child, okay, well, let's pray a decade together, you know? So it's like I'm forcing them, but I'm not overwhelming them. I think sure. that's kind of what you mean too, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and the thing I always hated growing up was do as I say and not as I do, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was one of my most hated phrases. Is, and, and it wasn't just like my father. It was other people in my life. They're like, you need to do this. And then you see them acting contrary to that. Mm-hmm. And we want to know, like, why don't our children want to do what we tell them? It's because they don't see you doing it, mm-hmm. right? And so often we try to parent with that mindset of just – you know, I'm going to do my thing, but you're going to do this because I told you to. I'm your parent and da 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 
and we wonder why they don't why they disobey or they rebel is because they don't see it lived out and i guess that leads to another point of advice i would give myself when i'm younger is is um to be a better leader to realize the influence i have over my family you know my mm-hmm. wife and my children and not not in a manipulative way right like mm-hmm. i I feel the same way you talked about, you know, it's easy to manipulate. And I can think right now how many times I've walked past Angela and gone, you know, you look really nice. You look pretty today. And my whole mindset is to get her into bed, mm-hmm. right? And so I guess that's another advice is that intimacy is more than just the bedroom mm-hmm. would be something I give myself, you know, too. But really just this point of, of understanding that I'm called to be a leader, you know, and so often – I really believe I left. I let my family down very early on in our marriage because Angel was sort of begging me to like stop saying you don't want to go to church, even if you don't want to go to church. Like, just please try to act like you do because our children need this. And and I just I remember one morning. This was after she stayed with me, you know. And we I think we just moved into this house. Yeah, we did. And you know, I'd sort of drink it a little bit again. And and one night I had some buddies over and I had a lot to drink. You know, a little more than I should have. And I felt bad the next morning. Well, she was already up, like breakfast made, dressed for church. Mm. The kids were coming downstairs, and she's like, are you going to get up and go to church? And I said, no, I don't think so today. It was a Sunday. Mm. And um, and she was angry, you know, and she walked out, and she said some choice things to me that I won't repeat on the air. She had every right to say. And um, I'll never forget the stairway comes down, like straight across from my, my master bedroom. And I was rolled over, had the blanket over my head, pillow over my face, and – all of a sudden, I heard Jacob kind of clawed down the stairs. He's got a you know a, a gate I recognize when he comes down the stairs, and uh, all of a sudden I heard, "Why do I have to go to church if Dad doesn't?" And I looked up, kind of peeked under the blanket, and she's sitting there trying to get a tie on him, and he's staring at me in a lump of covers. And I wish that like that had happened earlier in my marriage. That moment, it was really a gift from God to hear that because that's that really was the turning point after this of like okay, I can't just stop doing the drugs and, and, and all this other stuff. I have to be different. And if not, then my child is going to live the same way I've lived. Because we, we're their heroes. Like, I mean, I, even if you have difficulty with your children, I, you know, we all have sons or boys that hit teenagers or girls and they get difficult in some of those times. We have to realize, like, they look at us like they look at God in a lot of ways. And however we live or however we act, whether it's good or bad, they're going to deem as like my father or my mother did this. And so this is how I'm supposed to act. And so I would go back and say, like, I would really pay more attention to things. Like even asking my child to go like, Hey, I'm late. I'm feeling lazy. Go get me a beer out of the fridge. Right. (laughs) And then you're basically having your kid bring you a beer and, and it just, there's things like that. I don't know if that makes sense, but just, I think I would go back and tell myself, like really pay more attention to the role that God's given you and the influence you have not only on your children, but your wife. I mean, Angel's come to me multiple times and said, and I don't mean to sound um, unhumble in saying this, but she said when I started to take on my faith and really live it, that it helped her live hers greater. And it, it was that equally yoked um, feeling mm-hmm. that really allowed our children to desire to follow in the same footsteps. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I think I would I would tell myself that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think of anything else real quick. Do you have anything else on your mind about it? No, that's yeah. Um, those are a few things I'm thinking about now. Yeah, yeah. There was one more I had on my mind, but it's it's slipping me. Maybe God wants us to end this. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Matt, it's it's been a great pleasure to have you. I mean, you know, you and I met as I said on a retreat a couple of years ago, and yeah. 
got to hanging out and laughing and joking. And I really do appreciate your friendship. And yeah, you too. Um, you know, when I looked at you being here and the timing of all this, I don't think there would have been anybody else I wanted to be in here first. Ah, uh, yeah, that's so, right. This is the oh, I'm honored. Yeah. I'm Other honored. than Neil, but he didn't count. No, yeah, he didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm kidding, Neil. I love you. But um, I do, I do appreciate you being here. It means a lot, and, yeah, you and thank you for all the things you've done to help the ministry. I mean, I, I want to say this because I want people to to know this a little bit about you before mm -hmm. we leave. But you've shared with me that one of your desires is God's given you pints in the success of of the YouTube success, all those things. And what I love about you is that you've spoken several times about you like to help other people succeed as well. And you see your platform that you have now is doing that for um, certain people that God puts in your life. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I just want people to know that about you because it's easy just to see a screen of somebody and just assume that they're enjoying success and they're not concerned with others. And I just, whether people know that about you or not, I want them to know that now because sure. you have a genuine heart there. So thank you for that. Oh, but, you're welcome. I uh, mean, I look forward to, to hanging out with you the rest of this weekend, to hearing your talks, um, and just, you know, future interactions. So thank you for coming on. Yeah. God bless, man. Right, Thanks you a lot. Too.